The parable of the lost sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This is a teaching that Jesus gives to the disciples, and it illustrates how the Father values each and every one of his children so much. Um, so much so that even just one strays away, he relentlessly pursues them and welcoming them home with open arms. And if this is not a picture of what true love is, I'm really unsure of what it is. Um, this passage comes from the Bible in the book of Luke, and um, it illustrates exactly what it looks like to be met by the love of Jesus Christ passionately, purposefully, and with great intention. If we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor, and I am an intern here at Unite, and I'm also a pre-law student at Central. Fire up. <laughs> um, but one thing you might not know about me is that one day I would really like to be a judge. Um, and I'm not really sure, you know, what that looks like, where that is, but honestly, my dream job is to become like Judge Judy and have my own TV show. So maybe not even really be a real judge, but I just think that would be really fun. You're probably wondering why am I telling you that? It's because tonight, I'm here to judge you. Um, that's a joke. I'm not here to judge you in any way. Um, but the title of this message tonight is, I Dare You to Love Your Neighbor. And tonight, to understand what this really means, I want to dive into the character of Jesus. And to do that, I want to look at three specific case studies. See what I did there? Case studies. Um, of the life of Jesus. I want to look at his actions. Um, because what a better way to look at understanding the calling of loving our neighbor than to look at our God, whose name is love, um, and to see how he interacted here on earth with imperfect people just like you and I. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Luke 7:34, which reads, The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking. And you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners, um, and you'll see this as we dive in tonight. So without further ado, I just want to go right in. Um, the first case study that I want to examine tonight has to do with the way that Jesus so intentionally advocated for women. Um, in biblical times, women were seen as secondary class citizens, um, they were often not allowed in public without a male fam family member. Um, they could not serve as community leaders, and typically they didn't really do any work outside of the home. And so to set the scene, um, the st first story that we're going to look at takes place as Jesus is walking through the temple um, and later teaching a crowd on his way back from the Mount of Olives. So starting in John chapter 8, verse 3 reads, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote 
in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, and so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. In this story, Jesus offered this woman a new life. He offered her an opportunity for holiness, newness, and also for sanctification. And the thing that I find most compelling about this case study um, is how skillfully it illustrates the harmony of justice and mercy found in Christ's salvation. God pronounces judgment on sin, but he also provides a way to escape condemnation. Our Lord God silences the critics of the world while also healing hearts that are burdened with guilt and with shame. God never treats sin casually, but in the same way, he's not intimidated by sin. Jesus stood up for this woman who was shamed, ridiculed, and downright harassed by these people who judged her, um, those people who were a part of her own community. And instead of meeting her with with accusations, um, Jesus offered her grace, healing, and a way forward. He offered her a life completely free. And if you are a woman and you are in this room tonight, um, I just feel really strongly like the Lord is telling me to say this to you. Um, He hears you, and he sees you, and he wants to be your protector. Um, In times when you feel unlovable, overlooked, or forgotten in the same way that Jesus valued the woman in this story, um, he values you tonight. And to him, no matter who you are, what you have done, um, you're a precious daughter to him, one that he values so much that it was worth his son's death on the cross. And this goes for everyone, but I just want you to take a moment and imagine Jesus knowing full well the pain and the agony that would come with the cross. Um, And just looking at that scene, and then I want you to imagine him looking at you and saying, you're worth it. Because that's what he did. Um, Our names were on his heart when he went to the cross. And specifically back for women, um, I know that many times, um, and I guess this goes for men too, but um, many times we find ourselves feeling unseen and alone. And so often society tells us that um, because of our actions or because of our past, that we are inherently unrighteous or unworthy of love. But what I want you to hear tonight um, is that he is telling you it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you have done things with. It doesn't matter what he or she says about you, what he or she thinks about you. um, Even what you think about yourself. What matters is that you have a father in heaven who is proud of you. And you have a father in heaven who has called you by name and who values you and is calling you home. No matter what you've done. Jesus, friend of sinners. And this brings us to our next case study. So as we open the word to Mark 10, we see an account of Jesus teaching the disciples in the temple courts. This was not an uncommon occurrence, as many would gather in the temple for this kind of business. Um, However, typically in this time period, um, those who would gather in this space were religious teachers and their students. Um, This typically meant that um, it was usually men, typically no um, women or children, but um, if, if they were there, Um, or even if you were a man of um, a lower class, you would typically um, just mind your own business and leave the higher-ups to do their their work unbothered. Um, And this was a common practice that 
um, one had assumed, or the disciples would assume, that Jesus would follow. But the passage we're looking at reads as follows. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And what does it say about our Jesus that he would welcome even the little children into his teachings? Even when it was common for religious leaders to only invest in the most promising students. What does it say about our Jesus that he would delight in children, children who represent purity, innocence, and curiosity about faith? I don't know about you, but to me, this is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture that we have. Um, in this passage, we see that our God of all might, creator of the universe, he who is all-powerful, draws near to the little children, even when it was not allowed by the rules of society. And just what beautiful imagery that is. And I would like to argue that Christ looks at us the same way. Um, he says, come to me. Come to me even if your faith is like that of a child. Come to me especially if your faith is like that of a child. And I'm willing to bet that um, tonight in this room, there are many people who are new to faith. There are many people who are returning to faith. Um, and I'm willing to bet that there are many, many, many people in this room who don't feel like they are the perfect Christian. And I'm also willing to bet that if any of those apply to you, that you have had times in your walk with Christ where you have been intimidated by the church. And what I mean by that is not that you've been intimidated by the physical building, um, but that you may have been intimidated by other Christians. Maybe you feel like, you don't belong because you don't have a deep understanding of scripture, or maybe even any understanding of scripture at all. Maybe you feel as though you don't know how to pray or even approach the Father. Uh, maybe you feel as though you don't fit the stereotype of what a typical Christian should look like, um, and you feel as though the church, or maybe even God, um, will never accept you because of this. Taking this a step further, maybe you even find yourself in a place of thinking that because of that one thing you have done, or maybe because of the many things that you have done, that you are unworthy of the grace of God. If this is you tonight, I'm here to tell you that you are not too far removed from the Father's love. No matter what you have done, he is calling you home today. And whether you have known the voice of the Father for years, or if you find yourself in a place of feeling at a distance, um, or if you've never even had a conversation with the Father, um, just hear this tonight. Nothing you can ever do could ever separate you from the love of Jesus. Jesus, friend of sinners. The last case study that I want to look at tonight is how Jesus interacts with the sick. Leprosy is a chronic infectious disease, mainly causing severe disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage, most typically on the arms and legs. And this disease is very popular, very common in biblical times. And during these times, God has given very specific instructions on how to deal with leprosy. Um, and as outlined by the Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus, anyone suspected of having this disease had to go to a priest for examination. 
Um, if the individual is found infected, the law says, a leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And in addition to this, um, lepers weren't allowed to come within six feet of any other human during times when the wind was blowing. That's how um, looked down upon this disease was. Um, and typically, lepers lived in a community with other lepers um, until they either got better or they died. So they were the outcasts of the outcasts. And in the time that Jesus walked the earth, the leper was considered unclean physically and spiritually. And so um, the story that I want to look at now is in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Um, and so we read the passage of a leper who is the first to be healed by Jesus. And so it says, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. After a lifetime of public shame and heavy condemnation, a man is set free by another with a simple touch and a simple extension of grace. When nobody, not even this man's own family, would associate with him, Jesus reached out and said, come to me. When this man was forced to march around in public affirming these things over his life, you know, yelling that he was unclean and unworthy, Jesus looked him in the eyes and he said, you are free. And what's most interesting about this passage to me is that Jesus did not take any public glory for this. No, instead he, he looks at this man, he heals him, and he says, go in peace. There is no room for pride in perfect love. Um, and this is a truth that is continuously modeled in the life of Jesus. My mother um, is the perfect example of what I think a true servant looks like. Um, despite the fact that she came from very humble beginnings, she has spent her entire life giving back, honoring others, and um, using what she has to bless those around her, including myself. Um, and for as long as I can remember, she has always said the verse to me growing up, Matthew 25, 40, which reads, And the king will say, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. And very clearly, Jesus tells us in this passage that by honoring the sick, the poor, the outcasts, the helpless, the lost, the broken, those whom society has collectively deemed unworthy and unloved, that we are honoring him, a man who gave his life for these very people. Jesus, friend of sinners. In just a few moments, um, we're going to be showing some photos on the screen behind me. And as we show these photos, I am sure they will bring about some feeling inside you. In fact, you may even find yourself feeling offended um, or hurt by what I'm about to share. Um, and for that, I do apologize, but um, I truly believe that growth comes in holy discomfort. Um, and so I want to have this conversation together as one body of believers. 
Um, so as we scroll through these photos, I just want you to think about the people in your life who you disagree with. So we can start scrolling through those. The title of this message is, I Dare You to Love Your Neighbor. Looking to the teachings of Jesus and also to what the Word of God says, it is one of my strongest beliefs that the church should be on the forefront of loving others. Um, doing everything within our power to attend to others' needs, to use our actions to show that all lives have inherent value, um, and to meet people exactly where they're at, with love, not with judgment, and with an absence of any ulterior motive or agenda. And yet, this is hard, but it's also not a secret that the church has failed in this area, time and time again, because we aren't perfect people. And if you need an example of this, look no further than the past two years. Um, look no further than COVID-19. Um, it's not a secret that th these past two years have brought about division, hatred, disunity, not only within the United States, but within the entire world. And the church has been no exception to this. We find ourselves in a place of being angry, we lack empathy, and we are unwilling to make change in our lives, no matter what's at stake. And so as we're thinking about um, those people who we disagree with, as we're thinking about maybe emotions that we've felt over the past two years, um, I just wanna read a piece of scripture that I think is really convicting. Um, honestly, I think it's one of the most challenging pieces of scripture that we have. And so Matthew 5, 43 through 48 reads, you have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We as Christians are called to love our neighbor. We are called to also love our enemies. But I think one, time, or one thing that we so often forget is that often this is the same person. I know that... Um, we were, I said earlier that we were only going to look at three case studies tonight, but I really feel as though we would be missing the mark if we didn't look at one more. And that case study is the life and consequent actions of Judas Iscariot, um, the disciple of Jesus, who ultimately betrayed him and led to his death. And so I just want you to think about this for a second. Jesus knew he goes into that room with the disciples at the Last Supper, and he knows that he is going to be betrayed. He knows that it's Judas that will turn against him. He knows that he has been sold out for just a handful of silver, stabbed in the back by one he has poured so much of his life and love into. Yet in that room at the Last Supper, just hours before Jesus' death, Judas ate too. Jesus fed Judas too. Jesus prayed for Judas, too. Jesus washed Judas' feet, too. And I struggle to fathom that kind of love. A love that would feed the mouth of one who deceived you. A love that would wash the treasonous feet of the traitor. 
A love that could forgive even the vilest of betrayals. And honestly, I, I just struggle to comprehend that. But then suddenly, I think we all can feel this too. When, when we consider that and we think about it, um, I realize that I'm Judas too. Um, I realize that I fall short. I realize that um, I don't do everything God asks of me. Um, and in that moment, when I realize that, I'm just so thankful and just altogether overwhelmed that Judas ate too. And Jesus portrayed true love in so many ways. He died for us knowing that we would be ungrateful and unfaithful, but his love for us was so much greater than that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Nails weren't holding him to that cross. He could have left if he wanted to, um, but his love for us, that's what held him there. And throughout his life, he taught us about true love and true forgiveness. And his death on that cross, where your name was on his heart, was the greatest presentation of love, of eternal, real, pure, and true love. Jesus, friend of sinners. So I said this earlier, but here's the thing. Jesus was not intimidated by sin. And to illustrate this point further, I want to go back to the parable of the lost sheep. This is the very first scripture that I read tonight. Um, it's something that we just sang about. Um, but what I think is most compelling about this passage is not actually the, the words itself, but the context for which this parable was given. So just before the parable, um, a few verses before, in Luke 15, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So, Jesus told them this story. Again, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go and search for the one that is lost until they find it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He leaves the 99 for the one. And I always get emotional reading that story because... You know, so often in the church, we hear stories, we hear messages, we hear sermons about how God pursues us and calls us home. Well, we are the one lost sheep on the outside. And even this message that I'm giving tonight, that, that's the message. Um, but when it comes down to it, what I think is the beauty of this is that um, I really think if Jesus were here today, I don't think he would be spending his time with the perfect Christians. I don't think he would be spending his time with the religious leaders. I, I really don't even think he would be spending his time with um, church leadership. I really think um, that he would be out in the mission field, that he would be spending his time pursuing the broken, pursuing the lost, and calling them home. And how do I know this? It's because it's exactly what we're talking about tonight. Um, when Jesus could have associated with the Pharisees, he instead stood up for the adulterous woman, and he defended her honor. When Jesus could have shooed away the children in the temple, he instead looked at them and said, come to me. 
when Jesus could have stayed away from the leper and joined in the crowd, creating an even further divide, he instead placed his hands on the leper and said, you are free. And even when Jesus knew that the man who would soon commit the ultimate betrayal against him was sitting next to him at the dinner table, he still fed him, he still washed his feet, and he still prayed over him. Jesus, friend of sinners, he chases down the one, no matter how far the distance. So when the question is posed, how do we as Christians, how do, how do we love our neighbor? I can't help but think of the verse, John 13, 35, which reads, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The Lord tells us here that it's our actions, the way we practically love others, um, in the same way that he has extended grace towards us, that will show those who are not followers of Christ the kind of love and the kind of acceptance that can only be found in him. And so tonight, I kind of want to flip this story around. I have one last question to pose, and that is, what do we do in instances when we are the 99? What do we do when we see those people who don't fit the mold of what a perfect Christian should look like? Um, what do we do when we encounter those who aren't followers of Christ? What do we do when we come across someone who we have a hard time getting along with? What do we do when we are in the presence of sinners? And I think the answer is simple. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're commanded to do. And so I think that to fulfill this calling, we must love others enough to desire their salvation in the same way that Jesus does. And, you know, tonight as we look to the character of Jesus and as we aim to model our actions after his, um, we see that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Um, he so passionately loved the unlovable and pursued the hearts of those who society deemed unworthy. He showed up for those who never had anyone to care for them, and he relentlessly advocated on their behalf. He made the love of the Father accessible to all, and he so intentionally chased down the hearts of sinners and met them with nothing except for love. And if you don't believe me, I want you to look at your own story. I want you to look at your own testimony. God pursued your heart, too. And so tonight, my challenge for you is this. In the same way that Jesus has loved you, and in the same way that Jesus has so intentionally pursued your heart, I dare you to love others so radically that they wonder why. I dare you to love when it's hard. I dare you to find common ground when there's no way across to the other side. I dare you to grow in an intentional relationship with a non-believer without a secret agenda. I dare you to consider the needs of others I dare you to examine and identify your own biases and to use that to stand up for others. I dare you to challenge the status quo of what a typical Christian looks like. I dare you to ask the Father to make you more like his son. And finally, I dare you to live a life with a love so intentional that the only explanation possible points back to the love you have so freely received from Jesus Christ. And so tonight, before we enter back into a time of worship, um, would you just join me um, 
in both reflection and repentance. We know that we are all sinners who have fallen short, and yet we have so graciously received the love and the favor of Jesus Christ. And so, um, before the worship team comes back up, before we sing this next song, um, I'll just ask you to take a moment to meet with your Father. Take a moment to um, just ask Him to reveal any part of you that needs to be pruned or refined. Um, and during this time, I'm going to throw up a few verses on the screen behind me. Um, and I'm sure it's a passage that many of you have heard. But when we ask the question, what is love? We have an answer. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 reads, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So I would encourage you just over these next few moments, um, I would just encourage you to pray. Talk to your father, um, either by yourself or with a group of people. Myself, the interns, our intergens, or community group leaders, we're gonna be around the outside of the room. Um, and we would love to pray for you. We'd love to pray with you. Um, and during this time of prayer, I would just, just ask you to consider this passage, meditate over this passage. Um, and just ask the Father to reveal to you which of these characteristics you can improve upon in your own life. Ask him to perform a work in your life that allows you to love your neighbor effectively. And I dare you to come before him in humility and ask him to make you more like his son. Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm -hmm.